What do you okay, got? we're allowed. This is in no particular order, right? Yeah, yeah. you can go and you can uh, alternate if you want. All right, so this is going to be tough. Uh, fans of the podcast will know this is not a good first pick, but you can't hurry love the Supremes. Nice. Right. That to me, like there's songs that I like better. Yeah, but that one to me is the Motown song sound. Like I just freaking love that one. Awesome. I'm gonna. Awesome. Yeah, that's now, a great do, one. Do you prefer the Supremes or the Phil Collins? <laughs> <laughs> You're the best, Jimmy. The perfect, this is a perfect follow-up really question. Great gift on this Sunday, Jim. I love it. Fifty years of music with fifty-year-old white guys. Are you doing well, Jeff Simons? Doing great. I've got my industrial strength coffee. Yeah. And uh, you're on the rolling. West Coast. I'm doing the Ben Barton no shower weekend, which is making me very happy and progressively making my family sad. But I'm 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 going to commit to it for the rest of the day. Have you Ben? have you trademarked that? So I would love to claim that that's uh, defamatory, but it's totally accurate. And it'll stretch longer than a weekend. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> OK. Uh, and Ben, you're not in your office. No, I decided to do it at home today. All right, let's go. This is uh, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys on the Electricast Podcast Network. Hoping to connect with you on Facebook or on Instagram or on Threads. Today, our musical road trip brings us to Detroit, Michigan. Raise your hand if you're excited. Oh, I, I'm raising two hands. Raise your hand if you've been to Detroit. I've been to Detroit with a member of this podcast. Oh, what you guys do in Detroit? We went to a Tigers game at Old Tiger Stadium, and then uh, Ben drove me around the blight so I could really get a sense of just how burnt out Detroit was. That was in the early 90s. Okay. At a particular low point. Yeah, right. Different place 30 years Detroit later. Detroit lost another 400,000 people after that game. That's just unbelievable. It's really, that's so shocking because it was yeah. empty when we went there. It oh, was incredible. Dude, that, every time. Yeah. And it apparently, like, we'll talk about it, but it's it's in a rally right now. It's in a, yeah. it's, in, it's moving into a better place. But no, I just couldn't believe that because uh, I, I knew India worked in Detroit for a year and I got to know that town medium intimately. And I couldn't believe that more people left. <laughs> yeah. What what year was that before or after you went to the uh, baseball game with Jeff that India worked Same, there? Basically, India worked there. Uh, I graduated law school in 96. And so she worked there in 95, 96. OK. And she and dude, she worked in a demography firm. So she worked at like a little census outpost in Detroit. Wow. With tumbleweeds as, going by, as, right as, as as people are bleeding. Oh, dude, it was away. such a like it, it, uh, it was a really really great job. So it's a husband and wife, old school Jewish couple from Detroit, uh-huh. and she was, and they were obsessed with Detroit and Detroit's population. So India got the full tour, like of everything. Yeah, cool. Like this is where the synagogues were, this is where the people were, this is where the riots happened, everything. Well, I mean, as long as we're on the topic, Ben Barton. And you want to do a little Sunday morning flexing. 
city population of Detroit, according to the last census? Uh, you're the best. I did not look this up, and I'm going to be awry. I'm going to be wrong. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's go with the city itself is 245,000 people. 639,000. Right? A lot more than I thought. That's great. Giving yeah. me no chance. I love that on the on a day when we just <laughs> lost Bob Barker, you did not give me a chance to go higher or lower. I'm so sorry. Come on now. Would you, would you have gone higher or lower? I would have gone higher. But I what loved this, What was the population of St. Louis? St. Louis was tiny. Tiny. Yeah. yeah. I think it was like 250, right? Wasn't that it? was what made me think that Detroit had to be in the right. similar spot. Because, I mean, St. Louis was the fourth biggest city in America in 1900. Um, I guess Detroit was the fifth biggest city in America in 1950, which is a little more recent. Uh, fourth biggest in 1920. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It went uh, New York. Philly, Chicago, then Detroit in 1920. Uh, Jeff Simons all the way through the 50s, right? Yeah, and then it was a powerhouse through the 50s. Jeff Simons, I apologize as a way of apologizing. Uh, metro area population of Detroit, including suburbs. It's 600,000 oh, yeah. in the city itself. I'm going to yep. go with. Um, I'm going to go with 1.7 million in the metro area. So I shouldn't I'm gonna give go You're going to what? I'm going to go over. It's 4.3 in the Metro. How is that possible? By the way, we suck today, Jeff. At least I knew it was more than that. Dude, 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 the Metro area is gargantuan. That's just the irony of Detroit. Is well, like, I know, but like that, I live in a, but you don't have to tell me I live in the Bay Area, but the, right. the, 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 the sprawl population of the Bay Area is like three times the three cities. So that's why I was like 1.8. But that's, no, that's ridiculous. Yeah. 80% of the population is outside the city. All right. We're flying in. We're landing. Wheels hit the tarmac. And Alice Cooper welcomes us to Detroit. Let's go. Simons, um, my whole life I've kind of conflated or confused or couldn't tell apart uh, Ted Nugent from Alice Cooper. <laughs> like, uh, it's because they both became angry conservative golfers in their <laughs> old age. Yeah. Um, uh, real quick, what's the difference? Big difference, actually. So uh, that means I got big difference. Ted Nugent was always in the um, <clears throat> much more of a. Uh, flashy guitar hero hard rock vein like okay ted nugent's like big calling card was the guitar solos um and and uh 
Alice Cooper was more of a glam metal, like the show has like all these themes and nightmares and Halloweenish, like there were guillotines on stage and fake blood. And and Alice Cooper is a band, not just a guy. Okay. And Ted Nugent is very aggressively just a dude. So okay. But there's a real set. Like if you're in 1975, the difference between Cat Scratch Fever and No More Mr. Nice Guy is probably pretty pretty thin. Alice okay. Cooper is the first music I bought with my own money. I bought a cassette single of No More Mr. Nice Guy in the mall in Los Angeles. They make cassette like singles. Four years what a old. Waste of plastic. But it was like it was like a new thing. It was like a cigarette machine filled with music. And I was four years old visiting my grandparents. And we're walking out of the mall and, and they were a nickel. So my grandfather was like, oh go get God. something. So I went shink and yank. And so every time we went to the mall, I got one. So that summer I got Alice Cooper's No More Mr. Nice Guy, Seals and Crofts, Summer Breeze. Let's go. And Eddie Kendrick's Keep on Trucking. Three like blue. This explains a lot, Jeff. I mean, so those three really just formed your DNA. Is it amazing? (laughs) At four years old, Jeff's like, yeah, no more, Mister Nice Guy. Let's go. Well, um, Alice Cooper's Detroit City as our arrival song was kind of a last. Instead of Kiss's Detroit Rock City. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that, but that's okay. Process. Um, I hate Kiss, but they may make an appearance in a little bit. Um. Yeah, all right. I so actually, then hold on. Then, then now, Jeff, you agree with me, right? Which is what? Detroit Rock City is the obvious. Like, yes. And, and hating Kiss is uh, what a waste of energy. <laughs> like, that's like hating like Eneman's chocolate frosted donuts. Like, you can avoid them, but hating them. That said, is Kiss fun. isn't from Detroit, right? They're from No, Colorado. they're from Long Island. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. that, you can make that argument, Timmy. Also, um, Eneman's uh, popums, like the little hole donuts. Yeah, baby. Those things. You go through a box of those, man. Just keep them out of your house. That's my big <laughs> advice. You bring them into the house, it's over. Um, no, I, I I wanted a Motown song, and it made the most sense that uh, I'm going to arrive in Motown. I'm going to play Motown. And I spent days uh, torturing myself, uh, unable to pick the right Motown song. So that's when I texted you guys. What did I ask you for? Top three Motown songs of all time? Yeah, something like that. Let's top go. five. I cannot What's wait. What's great about that is I think I had hard opinions on whether it should be top three or top five, and then I totally forgot about the homework. So this is going to be great. Oh, me too. I have, I have no clue. <laughs> so Not going to be hard, though. So my Not very specific homework. Uh, I'll go first so you guys can think a little bit. Uh, and I, I felt I was going to get killed if this was my arrival song because the Isley brothers were from Cincinnati. Yes. But they started their own label. Uh, I didn't know Jimi Hendrix was their guitarist for a little bit, which is yep. fascinating. But when their own label goes under, they go to Detroit and they record for Motown and they record my favorite uh, Isley Brothers song, This Old Heart of Mine. It's a great one. Originally written for the Supremes uh, by Motown. I can't remember the name of Motown's like... Um, writing team that was just cranking Holland Dozier Holland Holland Dozier Holland so they they write that for the Supremes they end up giving it to the Isley Brothers uh and the Isley Brothers crush it but then they leave Motown (laughs) right after that album so it didn't it didn't seem fair to pick that as my song all right let's hear it what do you got you want to go first Ben top five Motown songs all time in your list 
What do okay, you got? And we're allowed. This is in no particular order, right? Yeah, yeah. you can go and you can uh, alternate if you want. All right. So this is going to be tough. Uh, fans of the podcast will know this is not a good first pick, but you can't hurry love the Supremes. Nice. Right. That to me, like they, they're, they're songs that I like better. Yeah. But that one to me is the Motown song sound. Like I just freaking love that one. Awesome. I'm gonna. Awesome. Yeah, that's now, a great you, one. Do you prefer the Supremes or the Phil Collins? <laughs> <laughs> You're the best, Jimmy. It's the perfect, this is a perfect follow-up really question. That was a great gift on this Sunday, Jim. I love it. <laughs> I'm going to go with Ain't No Mountain High Enough, Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. Oh, that's another great one. Oh. I strongly thought about that. When he yeah. goes, woo, in the third verse. Unbel- it's, unbelievable. It's the greatest. All right. Steel delivered Stevie Wonder. Now, awesome. That is probably actually my favorite one. I'll go with uh, Money by Barrett Strong, which was the first really big Motown hit and just uh, just cracks me up. The best okay. things in life are free, but you can leave them to the birds and bees. Just give me money. That's what I want. <laughs> that That's, a awesome. Detroit. That's a Detroit original right there. Right? That's fair enough. Fair enough. Let's get it on. Woo! Oh, I love Excellent. All right. And my pick for the most Motown sounding Motown song, Tears of a Clown by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles with that and the loudest tambourine ever recorded so that white people can clap along. And and uh, tracks of my tears. Like it wasn't until I started trying to figure out which song I was going to pick that I realized just how big Smokey Robinson was. Guy was. Oh, yeah huge for like what like a five-year period top of the world there's a great old clip i can't remember what it's from it's from some old rock and roll movie where this kid's listening to music in his room and the dad comes in he's like turn that garbage down and the kid's like but dad it's smoky (laughs) (laughs) uh all right what else stay on the board my next pick is going to be completely off the ranch but uh I'm going to go with, and you can take either ABC or I Want You Back, or I really uh, consider them the same song. So I'm going to take both of them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> can I just agree? Yes. Okay. And then we got one more round. I'll go last on my all-time favorite Motown song. And it's past the like prime moment, but it's Papa Was Rolling Stone by The Temptations. Ah, uh, yes. You've discussed this before. I'm going yes. to go even further past. Did you know that Super Freak by Rick James yes! is a Motown number? <laughs> That's oh, great. you know I'm choosing that. And uh, apologies to my dad for not choosing Bernadette. His Bernadette was favorite, right we'll, there. Honorable mention. Left it on the board. Uh, who else? Is Gladys Knight? Well, we're missing the, the most underrated band, in my opinion, is the Marvelettes. Like, I wish the Marvelettes were Diana Ross and the Supremes. Like, please, Mr. Postman. And like, oh, that's a great wave. Those songs are Fantastic. I don't know why Martha Reeves didn't uh, and the Vandellas didn't get bigger than Diana Ross as well. So, yeah, ain't too proud to beg, that's great. Right? That kind of hurts us. What's that? We didn't get ain't too proud to beg. Oh, I think it's impossible to do it right. I mean, there's it's. There's a hundred of them that could make the yeah. list. It's just yeah. incredible. All right. We're moving on because uh, despite the fact that I am currently on sabbatical. Ooh, how about me- that? Have you guys, this whole sabbatical thing. Careful. Look into it. Careful with the rubbing it in. Look into it. Um, And meanwhile, though, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you've been following your local high school volleyball. Even on sabbatical, the Asheville Blues 
yeah. are off to a wickedly strong start. So I, I'm sure we'll be hearing about that in future podcasts. I will still be uh, I will still be coaching. We've got one of the deepest teams I've ever had. Super excited, uh, especially after our, our five set barn burning victory down 13 nine in the fifth set. Uh, and we came back and won. So I was super excited. Uh, but we've got we've got film this afternoon. That film's not going to break down itself. Um, so we are going to move on. Ben, did you play high school sports? You did, right? No, dude. I went to a gargantuan, okay, massive that's right, that's right. urban high school where I tried out for the basketball team and they laughed me out of the gym. Oh, and I thought you played like, you know. 1,500 kids in my freshman year class. Right, so right, I was right. not okay. one of the five. I assumed you played soccer, basketball. one of the ones that they needed kids for. But nah. I mean, I never looked at film. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I... There's no way my high school, if we'd say, if the word film had been said in high school, we'd been like, oh, we're going to watch 16 Candles? Like, I just, <laughs> crack me up, buddy. I'm going to get them all in the uh, in the room and show the Godfather. Let's get to the Detroit compilation. Let's hear uh, what you guys, oh, by the way, with the torture basement, some of these were so obvious, I cut it down to one word. So oh it's going to be super fast. You've got. 15 you need to get 13 out of 15 even including those one word 13 out of 15 13 out of 15 let's do it i believe in you you're a monster Um, by the way i love that it only took 14 minutes for you to say we're going to cut this so for those of you playing we're going to cut this bingo it was the answer was 14 minutes (laughs) when he when he will definitely not go back and cut i will cut jeff simons you don't even listen to this podcast you have no idea the magic I'm performing. <laughs> Do I even appear on this podcast? Or it's just like you guys are just a big ruse. <laughs> All right, here we go. Torturing from Detroit. By the way, friends, um, Timmy spiffed up the torture basement. He's got a Woodstock poster in the background this year. So looking very nice. It's from my classroom. That was, oh, sabbatical. With the sabbatical, I had to yeah, take I had to bring Yeah, I had to bring the goodies home. I love it. Uh, by the way, Ben Barton, uh, writing a book is hard. I need help with like, Helen asked me that day, like, well, who's your audience? And I was like, me? <laughs> and apparently I need to think that through. So we'll talk offline. So yeah, about... I, have actual two, I have two very brief pieces of advice. Oh, right? please. Piece number one, have I previously described the word sitzfleisch? Yes. This is the German word for ass sit, and that's the deal with the book. You just sit your ass in that chair, and that's how it gets written. If your ass is not sitting in the chair, it does not get written. And sometimes um, what you get down on paper is going to be crap. Totally. Yeah. And then my second piece of advice, um, and this that your mileage will vary with this, is um, to actually do have a word count in mind. Go Charles Dickens style. The word count for my books are all 75,000 words. And um, when I hit 75,000, a couple of them got to 80, but I mean, then I'm like, well, I'm done. So <laughs> word count. A word count. And then you can, and like literally when you get to 25,000, you're like, oh, I have a third of a rough draft. Like you can, it's like a little meter where you can see it filling up like the grain silo. And then at the end, you're, you're, you're at the top and then you can go back and re-edit it. And but then when you go you... back and search for the word very and cut it out and you're down <laughs> yeah. 4,000 words, you got to <laughs> keep going. Are you writing by chapter? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. And like, I actually have each chapter with a word count on that, a running yeah. word count by chapter. Super. And then, and you and you write a horrible first draft, and you get all of those words down, and then you go back and fix it, and you're you're off to the races. Sweet, got it. 
This is so can we have we a Timmy's book update regular feature this year? In yeah, the, as it. we move forward. Oh my gosh, we can do it. It's gonna be great. Let's do it. Because if right. you don't, I'm gonna I'm gonna write and read fake excerpts from your book. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's my. Uh... That's a good threat. All right, the torture basement. Number your pages, uh, one through fifteen. We're getting 15. thirteen of them. Let's go. Here we go. <laughs> What's that? That was 14. Yeah, oh, I, I don't know. I missed Big Sean so much more. Darn it. Yes, I did not hear that. You did not hear Big Sean. It was good, yeah. too. All right. All right, hit me. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Toulousma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Toulousma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Okay, here we go. Nickelback. It was oh. Nickelback. 
That's the, I, I have two guesses on that one. Obviously, friends from Journey. Uh, okay, Journey. so we didn't know say nice things about Detroit, and I don't know the if it's Daft Punk or Kraftwerk at the end there. I think I don't know. Ben, no do you have idea. a guess? No idea. Those are those are both are great guesses. It is Kraftwerk. So oh, okay, I'm gonna give you those 13 out of 14, even if you don't have a guess. For I don't nice have a guess thing. at all. It kind of sounds like Tom Petty, but I know it is not Tom Petty. There's right. no, there's no, I have no idea. Um, who, who out there would advise us to say nice things about Detroit? None other than they might be giants. Oh, I never would have gotten Jerry. that. A zillion nice guys. Seriously. Nice wow. guys. Um, ben Burton, how did you know the red hot chili, chili peppers there? That's just a, I mean, I can't even remember what record it's on. I went through a chili pepper stage. So, oh. Yeah. Didn't it mean... sound a little like Queens of the Stone Age, too, with the, like, single note? Like, but that is Anthony Kiedis once you say it. Right. You can hear it. Nice that call mean... on the Nickelback. That, 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 that is means, awful. Really that bad. means That's... that means that Ben also went through a Nickelback stage, right? The uh, transitive no. property of algebra. <laughs> we got those two right. <laughs> Oh, that was that's a brutal. I think that's the only Nickelback I've ever heard. Is that little clip right there? Well, now it might be the only Nickelback I, I've never heard Nickelback on purpose. That's for sure. They played at the basketball game. I'm almost positive they played. Oh, is that right? Nice, nice. All right, welcome to the Mona Lisa Vito section of the podcast. How well do you know cars? Oh God, I'm dead. Jeff Simons and Ben Barton. Uh, first of all. Family car that you remember from the seventies? What did what did uh, the Simonses drive around Annapolis? A nineteen seventy one Pontiac Le Mans. Ooh, okay. Uh, big, that's from biggest as big as our apartment with huge hubcaps, huge okay. back fins, epic. Ben Barton, were we driving anything around? Dude, I Brooklyn? cover one of my parents' cars every year in torch class for reasonable obvious reasons. Hey, what it was? Ford Pinto wagon. No, it's no. Yes. <laughs> Unsafe yes. at any speed. Dad actually totaled it and walked away. So it's pretty impressive. <laughs> that is amazing. Also a Detroit car. Um, we had a, a white Mercury Cougar. You know, the one where you had to, there's a two door. So you had to like get in the back and you had like a, a submarine port hole. Oh God! Uh, as a little kid, you're trying to like look out from that little circular <laughs> hole in the back seat. It's terrible. I was so jealous of people who had the backward facing back seat. I thought that was like the most magical thing. Like those oh, Volvo's the where the back faced the, the opposite direction. Oh, I wanted that so badly. Um, all right, you guys can work together as a team for this uh, question. Ford's top selling cars of all time. The top three are what? All time from Ford Motor Company. Does it include trucks or is this discard? It does. It does. So the F-150 would be my first guess. The Ford F-Series, the number one selling Ford product of all time. Correct. People like trucks. What is this? I'm going to say Bronco. It is not the Bronco. No, it should be, though. 
How about the Ford Escort? The Ford Escort is correct. Oh, the my God. That's awesome. That's and you know what? 98% of them went to rental agencies. Yeah, like, I know, I right? I rented that car every single time. They were like, here's your Escort. Here's your Escort. Here's your Escort. Uh, <sighs> and, and the third bestseller of all time from Ford Motor Company. Is the Mustang? Or is that too expansive? It's actually the Model T. Oh wow! Oh, what a Isn't that amazing? Great I love that. Still that in is third great. place. Uh, is that's fantastic. Incredible. Um, all right. Now this next uh this next series of questions is going to determine what level uh, a car person you are. Okay. Uh, what kind of horsepower did the 1970 Dodge Challenger have? You mean like the number, or was it a special kind of horsepower? I mean the number. Oh, 500. <laughs> Jeff, less, <laughs> less than that. Uh, 425 horsepower. Okay, so you guys are at the top level, uh, but maybe you'll get oh, this. That, I think 500 is a pretty good guess for that. that I guess, it's higher than I would have guessed, sure. yeah. I would have said seven. Um, definitely packed with Detroit muscle. Yes. Uh, what size engine did the Dodge Challenger have in 1970? A V8. A V8 is correct. You guys are like upper mid-level car knowledge. My bottom question was how many wheels did it have? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I wanted to play a game called uh, How Gritty is Detroit? Uh, Detroit had... All sorts of, of race issues in the 1920s, all sorts of, of violence uh, with, with unions and corporate bosses. Um, it, it had uh, just a, as as Ben documented, a, um, a works force that was kind of laid off and uh, and uh, deteriorating downtown section. Um, so this this question is how gritty is Detroit? And I want you to uh, give me a scale of grittiness based on the movie I name. So super gritty, not that gritty. Ready? So, for instance, gross point blank. Medium gritty. Medium it's gritty. The suburbs, but it's still about murderers. <laughs> Good. All right. I'm going to put not that gritty. Not that gritty for gross point blank. Um Action Jackson, starring Carl Weathers. I saw that, but I have no recollection. I, I did too, and I was going to say medium gritty because I'm sure I laughed more than that I That took place in Detroit? Yes. Action oh, Jackson is wait such till a I, great... Wait till I get going here, Ben Barton. Uh, the beginning of Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, gritty. Super gritty indeed. Gritty. I love uh, that. Dark Shake man. Down, break down, break down, baby. Busted. Is that a little Bob Seeger you're singing? Um, no. Dark man. I don't really. Gritty. I don't know if I ever saw that, to be honest. Grand Torino. Dug it, enjoyed it, medium gritty. Yeah. Robocop. Ooh, so gritty. dark, so gross, so comically, splatteringly violent. Uh, true Romance. Oh, I love True Romance. I was just talking about True Romance yesterday. Were you really? <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, I talk about that dumb movie all the time. <laughs> and I think I recommended to RoboCop to my... or toilet paper. I do Floyd. 
Uh, I recommended and I never RoboCop saw... to my parents, I think. And uh, I think I'm still paying for that. I think they're still traumatized by how awful oh, that violent that movie was. That was violent. Uh, and I never saw Four Brothers, but that looked pretty darn gritty. Mark Wahlberg. Um, and, and finally, in our uh, I will not be taking any Are you questions. Dr. Detroit. I was going to say, Doctor Detroit. How did you miss Doctor Detroit? That movie is that when Dan Aykroyd thought yes, he it could is. go off on his own and, and his like, future wife. Oh, golly, that's a dog of a movie. Uh, I will not be taking any questions. The greatest movie of all time, set in Detroit, is Mister Mom. Thank you very much. Where's uh, Bobby? Keep the extra diapers. <laughs> Let's go to favorite son. Gosh, there's only one answer to the favorite son or daughter of Detroit. Um, it is Eminem, the 10th best-selling artist of all time in music history. Eminem. Let's go with uh, Slim Shady, shall we? May I have your attention, please? May I have your attention, please? Will the real Slim Shady please stand up? I repeat, will the real Slim Shady please stand up? We're gonna have a problem here. Y'all act like you never seen a white person before. Jaws all on the floor like Pam, like Tommy just burst in the door. We started whooping her ass worse than before. They first were divorced, sewing her over furniture. It's the return of the... Oh, wait, no, wait, you're kidding. He didn't just say what I think he did, did he? And Dr. Dre said... Nothing, you idiots. Dr. Dre's dead. He's locked in my basement. <laughs> Feminist women love him and them. Chicka, 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 slim shady. I'm sick of him. Look at him walking around, grabbing his you-know-what, flipping the you-know-who. Yeah, but he's so cute, though. Yeah, I probably got a couple of screws up in my head loose, but no worse than what's going on in your parents' bedrooms. Sometimes I want to get on TV and just let loose, but can't. But it's cool for Tom Green to hump a dead moose. My bum is on your lips. My bum is on your lips. And if I'm lucky, you might just give it a little kiss. And that's the message that we deliver to little kids and expect them not to know what a woman's glitter is. Is. Of course they're gonna know what in the course is By the time they hit fourth grade They got the Discovery Channel, don't they? We ain't nothing but mammals Well, some of us cannibals Who cut other people open like cantaloupes But if we can hunt dead animals and antelopes Then there's no reason that a man and another man can't elope But if you feel like I feel, I got the antidote Women wave your pantyhose Sing the chorus and it goes I'm Slim Shady, yes I'm the real Shady All you other Slim Shadies are just demonstrating Wow uh, That is not his most listened song no, his most listened song is "Lose Yourself in the yeah. Moment," as well as it should be. It's my, I think that's his best song. So. Oh, I prefer this one. <laughs> I like "Lose Yourself" too, but um, so just a, a word on Eminem. So first, he is in fact the best-selling rapper of all time, which is is worrisome. Um, and second, I have a love-hate relationship with him. Um, or really, it's more like I have a like-hate relationship. I've never loved Eminem. The first couple of records I did think were good. And in particular, that song is super emblematic of what was good about it. Like, um, he used to be really funny. He used to try really, really, really hard to be funny and kind of steer into being a goofy white guy. Um, and over time, he became more and more serious. And that did not work out for him at all. Um, it's also, it's not his fault, I guess. But it's not a good look at all that he's the top selling uh, no. rap artist. He's not even in the top 10 rap artists. Um all of that being said, uh, people who are in the top 10 rap artists, like Kendrick Lamar or Dr. Dre, and depending how you feel about it, I would I love J. Cole, but all of them have really, really high praise for Eminem and like actual granular praise, not like um, he made a lot of money, so he's fine. 
but like I like his flow. I like his rhythm. Catch these couplets. See how he does the words within the words. Right. Um, and he is, uh, despite me not liking it, he's a le- he's he's a legit artist. Like he actually has something to say and has lived a really weird, bizarre, very upsetting life where he is, in fact, is like a super troubled person. Um, and the art reflects that. And I can't help but respect that. Um, the movie itself, like that's that's just like super autobiographical, like really, really, really autobiographical. Yeah. Like being a white poor kid in Detroit coming up and having your friends be black and rap and trying to rap too was super tough. Um He's backed it up. Like he still lives in a fancy mansion in the suburbs of Detroit. Like he's a little bit like Prince that way. Like he came home, lives there. Um, he is still a huge booster of the Detroit hip hop scene. Uh, there's like three dudes who came up together. There's Royce, the five, nine proof and Eminem. And the other two guys are black and Eminem's white. Um, and they were in and out of rap acts together with each other and stayed good friends. Um, and Eminem boosted them his whole career. Like, on the very first Eminem record, there's a Royce, a Royce the Five Nine song with him, um, and he signed him to the record label and kept him going. Um, all of that Royce the Five Nine though is my actual favorite Detroit rapper, and if Aretha Franklin were not from Detroit, that's who I would be choosing. Jeff always gets to get the hipster cred. I will just lead people to P H R Y M E Prime, which is half DJ Premier, who's the DJ from Gangstar and just a really old school rap guy. And Royce to five nine, and it is a fantastic, exceptionally good rap album from okay. uh, I think 2017. Hipster is, cred given, Ben. Yeah, this I is think, what we need. I think Eminem is uh I think of Eminem and Kurt Cobain in almost exactly the same way. When you got two troubled white kids who find themselves uh extraordinarily famous very suddenly, who are both deeply troubled, and uh I mean I'm I think it's it's a good thing that Eminem isn't dead, you know, and it's yeah. funny, right? Because, oh, I totally agree with that. Like he, Eminem he, figured he, out a way to live. Suicide that, on more than one occasion. Yeah, and I, you know, and the art the art went sideways because he was either gonna make that art and die or become a different kind of artist and live. But I think of both of them, both of them are '90s superstars who have who hate the the um, fame monster that gave them all of their opportunity and success. Like both of them appeared on every single national magazine, giving it the finger. And I just think there's there's such a weird thing about the nineties. It was like, you know, Rolling Stones sucks and the source, the source of words are stupid. And there they are on the cover of those magazines. Again and again. Selling copies of the mag, like, Neither of them could figure out how to just step sideways and be like, I don't I don't need to be the absolute big. And I feel like the legacy of Cobain and Eminem for a lot of artists is you see yourself getting too big and you like. And now with social media and the Internet and you, you the own means of production, you can avoid the catastrophic fame that almost swallowed both of them. So I think there's an interesting like like Jack White could just as easily be. Kurt Cobain or Eminem and instead he was like I think I'll move to uh the woods and do it all myself very weirdly and just cultivate a niche audience and protect my sanity and privacy and that wasn't really available yet in the 90s technologically and so I they're for me like like people who knew they weren't the very best in their genres who were lauded as the very best 
who tried to look ugly in photographs, even though they were both really attractive people and who hated the fame monster that also pulled them out of poverty in small, terrible towns and gave them the life they actually deeply, desperately wanted. But they had to do it so publicly that they couldn't enjoy it. So I have real sympathy for Eminem. And like Ben, never really, he never really spoke to me. Like his white male rage was not my white male rage. Like I never listened to an Eminem record. It's like, oh, finally, someone's speaking speaking for me. Yeah. Like I just like, I thought it was either cartoonish or deeply troubling. So yeah. and he's played uh, he's played Bonnaroo twice as a headliner, and uh, the 2011 both times he did all of uh, my favorites all of the early best songs he did as a medley in two and a half minutes which oh, is no. exactly raw. I understand that you know he's a dark into an act and people don't like to play their old stuff, but I mean help help a brother out. Um, and then <laughs> second uh, the second time was I guess 2017 or 18, and it was just just me and India went and. Um, it was so vile and loud and violent. And there was like machine gun shots between every single song and a whole bunch of like animated machine guns flying all over the stage. And India was like, I just can't watch this. It's super upsetting. Yeah. And I was like, fair, super fair. Like yeah. it's a really off-putting, uh, ultra-violent, gun-obsessed performance. Uh, not likable. Ugh. Ugh. Um, all right, well, we got to move on. We are, uh, I, I'm, we're picking our artists. We're going eight minutes for each artist. Eight minutes and done. You know, maybe the podcast just is becoming a long form two part podcast, guys. I- I'm open to the idea. First of all, now you have seven and a half minutes. Okay. The more you, all right, talk, I'll go first. I'll go first. Takes away. <laughs> I'll go first, and I'll keep it short. I'll keep it short. Although, uh, like, what a stupid moment to start to go short when we have. Uh, Two of yeah. the greatest artists in American history coming up. That's Stephen Morris, born in Saginaw, Michigan, put in an incubator and uh, uh, mishandled as an infant, causing uh, permanent blindness. Oh. Uh, moves to Detroit, Michigan at the young age of four with his mom and his family. Uh, mom leaves uh, the family splits up, raised by a single mom. Then a, a, another guy comes back. It's a turbulent upbringing, but um, he sings in the church and the choir, and he is a profound prodigy. And an, a budding local record label called Motown Records makes a novelty record. Like, right. look at this little kid. This little blind kid can sing and play the harmonica. It's kind of crazy. They put out a song called Fingertips, and it's a regional hit. And uh, they they give him a new name, Little Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing about Stevie Wonder. There's two moments in his career. There's the moment when he's a Motown act, and they're telling him what to sing and play and do. And he's doing all of the hits being written for him, as you right. mentioned before, uh, Tim, like uh, Holland, Dozier Holland, and those guys. He's amazing. If you if you think about just the Stevie Wonder before his 21st birthday, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's a yeah. first ballot, unbelievable artist, right? Like there's just so there's too many songs to mention, but you know, uptight, everything's all right. And uh for once in my life, and I was made to love her and signed, yeah. sealed, delivered. And there's so many, so many, so many. And he's a phenomenal prodigy, right? He can't he doesn't just sing and play the Harmonica, he plays the piano, great. He plays the drums really well. 
Like you put an instrument in that kid's hands and he can master it in a couple of hours. And so the live show is medleys of all these Motown hits with Stevie hopping around on different instruments and showing off how badass he is. Right. Um, if you haven't seen Summer of Soul yet, uh, Questlove's movie that starts with Stevie on the drums, it's just one of those like, oh, that's what that's what profound genius looks like. But you could throw out everything Stevie Wonder does before his 21st birthday. And just look at the stuff he does between age 21 and age 25 and make an argument that he's the greatest American uh, musical <laughs> artist of all time. It's So while he's making all these records, Stevie's waiting to turn 21 so he can renegotiate his record contract with Barry Gordy and have complete and total control of it. And he's stockpiling tunes. Like he's writing his own stuff. And every once in a while, they'll let him record one of his. But for the most part, he's part of the Motown hit machine. And so... When he turns 21, they rewrite the contract and Barry's like, okay, I'm ready for, uh, I'm ready for the next record. He's like, well, I have the first four (laughs) written and recorded and I'm almost done with the fifth. And so he puts out music of my mind, talking book, inner visions, fulfilling this first finale. And then somehow needs an extra eight months to finish songs in the key of life, which is a double, double album, album with a right. bonus EP oh of God. four songs that couldn't fit on the double album that comes out. That's 1971 to 1976. That's oh seven albums of original material essentially recorded by one guy by himself with the occasional help of guest guest stars on the horns or on vocals That's or on insane. guitar. But it's basically just, a young blind kid in a studio left to his own devices. Uh And I don't think there'll be an outpouring of material. I mean, I, I guess you could argue that like Zach Bryan is, is on a Stevie wonderish output meter. Right. I mean, the guy's just putting out songs, putting out songs, putting out songs. And uh, you know, maybe I haven't heard it yet with Zach Bryan, but maybe there's like a, a similarity there of just a guy when the iron is hot, just trying to get as much material out. But what's incredible is most people that put out that kind of material are putting out, you know, it's not all great, right? Like I, no one, I love Prince so much. um, But the eight disc sign of the times box set has one or two clunkers. He's putting out an (laughs) an eight CD version of diamonds and pearls next month. So it's the original 11 track record and then 38 outtakes from those sessions. Wow. But if you go through these records, it's it takes till side two of songs in the key of life before you hit a song where you're like, well, that's objectively a bad song. There are so many winners, so many great songs over and over and over and over. And they wonders voice like he's a shit hot drummer. I love Stevie Wonder's drumming so much. He turns the clavinet into a rock and roll instrument basically by himself, <laughs> right? The 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 piano playing, the harmonica playing, but the guy's voice, Stevie Wonder's voice is, is American history and American joy. Like it just, it's inexhaustibly outstanding. I just find myself so often listening to Stevie Wonder and the effortless, outstanding communication that that guy has and then it's gone. Like from like when he released a song of the key of life, he's 24 freaking years old. He's 24. And it's the last great Stevie Wonder album. He's 73 years old. And he keeps making records. And um, 
and he, he whatever whatever finger he's got on the pulse, he loses. Right? Uh, ben knows. I, lo- I I constantly say soul singers and comedians get like a five year window, yeah. and then they're just not on the they're just not in the zeitgeist anymore. Um, and who cares? Like this mid seventies yeah, we'll output from Stevie Wonder, uh, it should be is is for me the real soundtrack of America in that decade. Um, I'm going to pick the song. It's a big hit. It's not like a deep country. It's a song that it's one of the songs that really changed my life. When I was 22, 23 years old in my second year of working at Branson, I was just an absolute workaholic as opposed to now when I have such great (laughs) balance. But I mean, I really was working like 70 hours a week trying to be good. And and, uh, I never went out. I was I was just work, sleep, work, sleep. And I got dragged out into San Francisco on a Friday night. I was exhausted. I almost didn't go. And I couldn't find parking. Then I went to Nikki's Lounge on Haight Street, which is a shitty little dance club. And I get there and I don't see anybody I know. And, you know, like I'm I'm a 23-year-old, like, doofus, 5'6 kid in a crowded bar at night. And just when I see two people I know, the DJ drops this song and the whole crowd just becomes one organism. It's just this like, thank you. Finally, something everybody knows is just perfect. And the whole crowd just becomes this one organism. And for the next five and a half minutes, I like lose all my like weirdness and self-awareness and and uh, just melt into this sea of young people all just searching for something. And I swear to God, it cha- it just something clicked for me that night about like, just be yourself, you idiot. And, uh, (laughs) and I went on a um, Stevie wonder binge that probably has not abated. So this is the, I can't thank Stevie wonder enough and the DJ that hit it at just the right moment for giving me uh, an adult life worth living. And this is boogie on reggae woman. thing in the world to fade that song out this is so in the middle where he starts playing the harmonica and he yells can i play and it's just for me that's church that moment with stevie's like asked uh, permission to play his harmonica i'm just like no matter where i am i'm like go stevie guess please that's uh, so great like, yeah i thought you're, you 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 talked about like finding yourself in this moment in this bar and like and then you said and i went on a and i thought you were gonna say some sort of like Lothario binge or something like that. If That's only. when I started no, meeting still people. me. Like it was going <laughs> on a Stevie Wonder binge. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> great, great stuff, Ben. What do you think? 
Jeff nailed it. Those are fantastic records. Um, one thing that's super notable about them is they recorded all bang, bang, bang on top of each other, and they really evolved. Yeah. They're really, really, really evolutionary and revolutionary and different. The fifth record sounds so different from the first record. You can see his thought process building through it, just bang, 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 bang on top of it all. Fantastic. Love it. All right. We're moving on. You did great, Jeff Simons. Ben I, Barton, I, uh, you I got take, eight I, minutes I now. I take direction. I take direction well, Timmy. <laughs> Aretha Franklin, born March 25th, 1942 in... Where she, she born, Jeff? I don't know. Detroit. Memphis, Tennessee. Oh. Ah, I love it. Her dad, C.L. Franklin, is an itinerant, wandering Baptist preacher. Then he gets a gig in Buffalo. He and his wife and his kids move up to Buffalo for a couple of years, and then he gets his big break. He is the Baptist preacher at New Bethel Baptist Church in Detroit, Rock City, one of the biggest Baptist churches in the country. And it's funny to say, I mean, this is like doing this, this sort of research always makes me super happy. This guy was a legit, hugely famous preacher. Yeah. Like I said he had a million dollar voice and he was like simulcast on the radio all over the Midwest on the on, on black radio stations. Just fantastic. Um he and his wife split up. He's a notorious uh, womanizer, despite being a Baptist preacher, or maybe because he's a Baptist preacher, you're, you're my <laughs> ultra variant. Um, she's got multiple different siblings. Uh, when her mom leaves, her dad puts her into the choir and makes her the lead voice in the choir. And so she's an actual legit child star. Like her career has got this first four years from like her first recording that was a hit is when she's 14 years old. Um, and she's got this gospel from 14 to 18. She tells her dad that she admires Sam Cooke and she wants to be a pop musician. And her dad says, fine. He takes over as her manager. She's asked to join. Uh, Sam Cooke is like, do RCA Victor. Like, they, they know me. They know you. They're, they'll put you in the right place. That's where, where it's all happening. Um, and Barry Gordy pitches them on joining the label. Dad says, no, I prefer to go with Columbia Records. Uh, and there's a whole series of these unbelievably stupid decisions made by the males <laughs> in her life. Oh, so this is a terrible, terrible decision. And actually, at the end of this, I'm going to argue that weirdly, Aretha Franklin's career, as amazing it was, was worse than it should have been. Like, if you replay Aretha's life 10 times, at least six or seven of her careers are way better. Than no question. Have. She's like the person she's like uh, Otani being stuck on the Angels. Totally. Like it's just like it's they waste like they waste like seven years of excellence with her. Yep. Nine albums. She had yep. a nine album deal with Columbia. Right? And they call it a five percenter because she only gets five percent of the money from it. Dude, this is how badly it went with Columbia. When she leaves Columbia in 67 to go over and join Atlantic Records, she owes Columbia money. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, because she hasn't <laughs> so sold enough awful. records to cover the recording of it. And I mean, and so how, I man, up, interrupt. How off? How many times have you tried to find one or two good Columbia recordings? Totally, dude. Right? Listen, like I'm going to go it's, ahead and just challenge the good people listening here. Go back, and I'm going to first of all, it's actually really fun. I've done this exact project. So you just go back and you randomly choose one of these nine records, and you just randomly choose one of the songs on the nine records, and it's bad. You're like, yeah. I can't believe it, and it's like. 
Um, it's like a Ferrari with a restrictor plate on. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so mannerly, these songs. Like, they thought that she was a crooning jazz artist. They yeah. have her locked in the basement, like, held down, like, just just crushing her. Ugh. And, dude, that's, so that's insane enough when you find out what happened in 67. It's even more insane. She was named the Queen of Soul in 1964, not in 1967. And she was named the Queen of Soul because her live act was so legendary that the, the, the African-American station in Chicago uh-huh. played one of her concerts. And the guy was like, WVON was like, that's the Queen of Soul. She's it. That's Let's all. Go. And then, <laughs> nobody would buy the records because the records are so crappy. So it's not only that the records were bad. It's that if they attended a show, they wouldn't have been like, well, that was strange. The show was 8,000 times better than the records we're putting out. I wonder what we're doing wrong. No one had that thought at Columbia. Uh, In the meantime, she gets married to her first husband, another piece of shit, Ted White. Ted is the worst. uh, And uh, so he's like described by uh, various people as a pimp, a hustler, a loser. His dad hated him. Her whole family hated him. He's abusive. He beat her up in front of other people. He gets signed to Atlantic Records. They get on a Muscle Shoals. They record I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You and um, Do Right Woman. They start Do Right Woman, Do Right Man. Ted White, the piece of shit, gets in a fight with Aretha, then gets in a fight with the manager of the studio, and it punches a guy in the horns, horn section. They push him out. The guys at Muscle Shoals are like, I don't know why you signed this woman to, uh, to Atlantic. Her husband's a fucking lunatic. We've got to stop recording. Like She's, not, she's banned from the studio. And Muscle Shoals. Uh, Wexler, the guy who's running Atlantic Records, is like, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Uh, we're going we're gonna to bring it up to New York, and we'll just finish Do Right Woman, Do Right Man as the uh, as the B-side, and we'll put out I Never Loved a Man, and we'll see how it goes. Massive gargantuan hit. All of the Muscle Shoals guys are flown back up to New York, and we are off to the races with it. Um, the, I always pick I Never Loved a Man as my favorite Aretha record, and thus basically one of my I don't know, 20 favorite records. Like, I just can't describe how beautiful this record is, how much I love this record. Um, I had a really fun argument with uh, now Dahlia's on a break boyfriend, but then boyfriend, where he was like, oh, Lady Soul, that's the best one. And I oh, boo. Lady Soul has got a bunch of great songs on it. And in fact, it has probably, I mean, it doesn't have respect on it, but I mean, it has Chain of Fools. It has a bunch of great songs on it. Here's the thing that's so amazing about I Never Loved a Man. It's, it's not just that she changed her sound. It's not just that they figured out what to do with her. It's that half of the songs on that record are written by Aretha. There you go. And the piano on that record is played by Aretha. And you can't believe what a freaking spectacular pianist she is. So beautiful. The arrangements are so beautiful. Um, And so this is another part of the career that just makes me a little bit sad. You go look at just the Wikipedia entry with the discography. She puts out three albums a year from 67 to 70. And they've just got her on the rented mule treatment. Um, And again, everyone made a lot of money. I assume that she made some money and I know Atlantic made a lot of money, but dude, by the time you get to lady soul, she doesn't have time to write anything. That's she's right. on a, a never ending tour. And she's in the, like when she's not touring, she's in the studio. And so they're just giving her songs to play. And I'm sure she's super amped. I mean, she's been toiling in the salt mines under the stupid Columbia record contract. She finally gets a chance. Um, but there's a different version of her story where they learn a different lesson from I never loved a man. And they're like, you know what, Aretha take six months, write yeah. a whole record. Right. Write a whole record of originals expressing what you have to say. 
Um, and, and like that version of her career, I pine for. Like it just yeah. hurts my heart because they beat it out of her. And then so she she stopped playing the piano, basically. Like all of her concerts, she sang. And it's not like she's a bad singer. I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying like there's a version of Aretha Franklin, original artist, singer, songwriter that I, I, I like I would pay any amount of money to see. The Stevie that. Wonder, the Stevie Wonder yeah. version of Aretha yeah. Franklin totally. or the Carol totally. King version. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so by and then by the like the early seventies, she's just blown through it all. Like she's completely burnt out. She's gotten divorced. She's got a pretty and this is allegedly a substantial drinking problem. Like she's just been working, working, working all the way through there, and so she goes into this sallow period. Then there's the comeback, and the comeback is super hilarious too. So uh, we previously talked about Blues Brothers. That yeah. starts it. She just thinking the Blues Brothers. Um, that kicks it off, and then she's got this, and she signs to Arista Records, and she's got this whole unbelievably bad sounding group of hit songs. Um, <laughs> I actually went back today and listened to Freeway of Love. Went yeah, amazing. <laughs> I would challenge everybody on the podcast to just go listen to Freeway of Love. You can't believe how bad the instrumentation is. And the only thing is, <laughs> I was sitting in the car with Georgia and. I was like, the funniest thing about this is it's a good song. It's a good song. Yeah. Like, if you just took Aretha, and, and Aretha's vocals are characteristically fantastic yeah. on that song. Like, if you just replaced it with a Muscle Shoals guy, it would be really, it would be an actual classic. Instead, it's just a harrowing punishment to listen to them <laughs> program the machinery that's behind her, <laughs> including this, like, a little bongo solo in the chorus, ruining the chorus. So yeah. You know, that's the same year as Part-Time Lover, Stevie Wonder. Oh, equally, yeah. equally Golly. horrifying. Golly. I mean, what can you say? That was the sound of the time. That's um rough. But somehow it just really wears worse for her um and it, 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 that, that's irony though that song's great i can't remember the name of it whatever the, the duet with george michael is that's a great song again instrumentation is a disaster um a rose is a rose is a good song like like that is another one that could actually sound good um and then she gets this late period i'm a great singer diva thing um that includes some really hilarious highlights so one highlight is the uh, the greatest WrestleMania entry song of all time. Is Wait, what? Aretha singing. <laughs> Aretha singing "America the Beautiful." I'm not kidding. If you look up the Wikipedia for WrestleMania three, okay, widely claimed as the best. And by the way, I, I watched that video. Accurate. It's fantastic. Wow. And then there's the famous time where she's at the Grammys and Pavarotti is supposed to sing an aria, and he gets food poisoning. And she goes out with no practice and sings it. Sings, sings an aria? Well, sings she's... a Pavarotti aria, note for note, perfectly. <laughs> Wait, where is that? I got to find that on YouTube. It's That's like, a... she's just an insane, like, unbelievably super awesome singer. That's how good a singer she was. Um, and dude, she died in Detroit. She lived in Detroit. Fruit of Love, I actually should choose because that's a legit Detroit song. You know what I mean? Like it's a driving song. It's a stuck in traffic song. Yeah. It's a My Pink Cadillac is what love looks like song. I'm uh, not going to choose that though. I'm going to choose a well-known but lesser known one from I Never Loved a Man. And this is an Aretha original. Like her, like her sister's credited on it too, but she wrote it for sure. And it just murders me every single time. Baby, baby, baby.
that song's got it all, man. You can hear the gospel part. <laughs> like she adds the singers in the back. And uh, I assume Jeff will agree with me. I mean, the Muscle Shoals band, good ah. night. You know how hard good it is to play that slow? Night. It's well, impossible. Dude, and, the, and like the, the like to, next time, and this is one of those ones that's such a rich text. Like next time you go back, just listen to the bass. There's parts of the bass is just like boom. Yeah. Boom. And then when it reaches to the crescendo, he goes up the neck. He's fucking flying. Yeah. And the guitar part is so unbelievably tasty. Just like these little touches and flourishes as you go along. Oh, just. And then the horns come. That one just absolutely kills me every single time. And it's this beautiful, sad love song for her as her, she's just touring 300 nights a year. Doesn't get to see. I mean, her husband's a piece of shit, but still, like, she doesn't get to see him, and and she's hurting his feelings, and she'd rather hurt herself. Like, ah, oh, that one just sings to me um, above above all the rest. I I can't believe she had a nine album deal. Isn't that crazy? A and nine you, you, album. Like, it's really funny. Uh, Jeff Jeff has probably done the exact same thing. I've actually listened. All, I didn't listen to the whole of each song, but I've listened to every single song on those records. Yep. I gave it the extra college try. And nothing. <laughs> just, no, really It's just bad. incredible. Really it's bad. just like, it's like um, giving a, a cook five-star ingredients and it always comes out like a Denny's omelet. Like, I just can't. It, it's just, it's shocking. I think oh, no, I never I loved a man like, is. It, it, it's like a, a really forward-thinking cook and they're like, oh, no, no, we're a burger place. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. Gotta make a burger. <laughs> That's what we serve. That's and the right. person's like, but you know, I, I had some thoughts I had about taking the burger. And nope. they were like, no, no, nope, nope, nope. It's like the bear. Behind um, you. I think I think I never loved a man's the greatest record by a female artist in rock and roll history. Ooh, I think it's number I like one. That. I think Joni Mitchell's Blue is probably number two for me, but okay. I think I never loved a man is the one. If I had to pick one, it's just uh it, and it, I've never gotten tired of it. I mean, I don't know, 500 listens. I've never gotten tired of it. It's it's if you haven't heard it, track one to 11 in sequence, you got to check it out because, you know, you'll be like, I know all these songs. They come on the radio all the time, but hearing right. them in order, it's a, right. it's a journey, man. It's a great, no, no, dude, and that's a half a great artistic statement. Save me. I mean, there's a half dozen songs you haven't heard yeah. ever or you haven't heard in a long time. Um, and they're great. Yeah. All of them are great. Every single song is is just continuously fantastic all right i'm doing it i'm doing it uh later today well i gotta go so i have a wacky idea ready for my wacky idea oh good lord now we're gonna spend a whole podcast talking about bob seger you're the a worst ga- a no. gas up on bob seger everyone has to take uh, everyone has to this is your homework and you actually have to do your homework this time uh your favorite bob seger song and the most unforgivable bob seger song that's your homework for our next podcast. Okay, I'm going to talk more about Aretha. That's my plan. When you okay. get to the Bob Seger parts, that's what I'm We're going to do a gas up on Bob Seger? Yeah. Can it yeah. be called Bob Seger? What in the actual fuck? Question mark, question mark, exclamation point. Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. All right. We got to go, though. We got to go. Well, so we need to, um, listeners, we we, uh, we talked ourselves into a corner. Guys, We need to we need to make a longer moment because we can't the good stuff that the, the, the good Je- stuff's flowing jeff the, simons podcast right. is becoming past the Covassier, man your idea is not a is not a bad one we record every monday night or every other monday night and it's like the first half the second half the first half the second half that way we can be doing this well into our 70s that's true 
That's true. You know, my dad told <laughs> me when like, I was five. If we have to get, if we go every artist all the way down to Bob Seger gets a gas up, that means that we have 800,000 <laughs> artists to cover. <laughs> Dude, Tim, I, I mean, can't so believe. Like we had, what have we done so far? We did Dylan. Uh, Tom, Tom Petty. We haven't I, even done Springsteen yet, and we're going to do Bob Seger. That's your current. Plan. Well, I think Ben, I think Tim's going to make the argument that it's like you know, tomato clamato with Springsteen and Bob Seger. Actually, my musical insight it, it involves that because I've always told my kids that Seger is the Detroit Springsteen because they're like, is oh, this Seger? Why this... do you hate your children, Tim? But, why but... why do, you, do you hate them? Do you I want actually... them to sound stupid when they talk to other people? My new, my new insight. Is he's the uh, Detroit Billy Joel? I broke the internet, and oh, we will perfect. we will yes. discuss that on our next uh, podcast, gentlemen. You know what's great, what's By the great? way, Billy Joel's way better, so much better. <laughs> I might even make that argument myself, and we have we have me on record for I, how irritating Billy Joel is to me, and I, I might love that idea that you're going to defend. I don't know Billy which Joel. one I'd rather be stuck in a rowboat with, but I think I'd rather listen to Billy Joel. This is going to be a great episode. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, gentlemen. Right, that was well done. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the no, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Electric acid. Electric acid.